Hi everyone, uh, my name is Kishore Chandra and we're here for Chit Chat uh, with myself and Jai Jagannath Prabhu. We come on here every evening to speak about spiritual topics. So Chit is a Sanskrit word for spiritual knowledge. And so we come on here to chat about Chit. <laughs> Hari Bol, Sham. And Kavi, welcome. Sorry we took a pause yesterday. I was um, in the middle of some travel. Welcome Pat and Geneva. Hare Bol, Hare Krishna. Yay. Jai Jagannath is here. Welcome Adi Hall. Go. So Jai is coming just now. And hopefully this internet is okay. Sorry. No, no worries. Hello. How are you both? I also feel like that. <laughs> um, how are you? <laughs> okay, I suppose. I got a, a message today that... I saw. The one that you posted? No. Oh, that, was that, also, that was also a very nice message. That was a very nice message. Um, someone sent me a link to... A, uh, Air India Airlines has taken people to India and um, even persons who are from America but he's looking into it now so my hopes got a little bit up not too much because I know how these things go but I might get a chance to go to India and finally get my cello and pursue my dreams in life <laughs> Well, please let me know if you're able to make it to India because I would also like to go. I've been thinking of Braj, as you know, a lot and uh, wanting to go there and spend some time there. I mean, uh, I was telling everyone who was just joining that yesterday we had to pause because I was, I was doing some traveling. So I was traveling from uh, the beach that I was at for three weeks to now this like city, but I mean, Ecuador is kind of strange. Like, Latin America is a little strange. It's like you're, like, in these protected citadels, and they have, like, guards and, like, machine guns, and it's, like, these tall, tall walls that, like, protect the citadel. It's, like, it's very weird. So here I am in this protected citadel. <laughs> um, that sounds like an area for affluent people. Appar apparently, I'm affluent in here. Apparently, <laughs> apparently... I'm rich here, so it feels really weird, actually. You know, I was just talking about this with um, my friend this morning because it's like going from ashram. Like, I am not rich, right? But like my mom and my family, I guess, like this. Uh, so by, by, you know, via them, I suppose I am in this country. But it feels really weird coming from like the ashram where I was for, you know, over two years. And then like now I'm here. It feels very strange. I'm just like, I just want to go to India. I want to go to Braj. Um, but anyway, so, and then yesterday my mother and my grandmother actually arrived and it was a whole thing and I didn't sleep last night till two in the morning, so I'm a bit off. Um, okay. But anyway, I, I don't really know what we're talking about today, but something that I thought was really, really funny uh, was this meme that you posted <laughs> about like leaving it was, some... It, it was sent to me by Covey. It was, so, oh my God, it was so good. Like there's this plane with, t is it, t is it? Who's the face? 
I don't know the, the I, name of those characters. I think I think the face was like, wasn't it like the little train that could or something like that? Yeah, it looks like that. Right? Like some, I forgot the name of that like kids book, but it's on a plane and it's leaving, and he has a big smile on his face, and behind him is like a city that's gone off in like bombs and there's just explosions and. And the, the, the plane's little cartoon face is like, ta-da-da. And the caption reads, like, what, what is it? Like, posting something on Facebook? And... How, how I look when I post something super controversial on Facebook and just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw that, and then I saw what you posted on Facebook. What did I? Oh, oh, my God. That was totally unrelated. I think, oh, I, was sh it? I, think I shared the meme first before I shared the the post okay well I saw what you posted on Facebook and to me it felt related because I was like oh he posts this and now here's this maybe, very controversial maybe it's just so part of my nature I don't even recognize what I'm doing anymore it's so part of my nature but I thought it was very funny to see in the comments like everyone get riled up once again and um it was the the comment that I shared on Facebook for those who are wondering was oh, yes, please, surrounding voting a, a Parapa statement surrounding voting, essentially saying that the people we vote for are big dogs and the rest of us are more or less small dogs voting for bigger dogs, mm. and um, it's a more or less a complete waste of time. For those who are accustomed to reading Parapa's words or his books. Um, basically, on every social stance, he had the most unpopular opinion, at least unpopular for today. Maybe it wasn't as unpopular during his time, but certainly for today and for the, the mainstream sort of social political landscape, Parapa's opinions about things are very, 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 would be deemed very controversial. Yeah. And... This is an interesting thing to actually bring up. It's when people have come to the Christian consciousness movement, our core teachings are a source of great attraction because the core teachings deal with the soul itself and the homeland of the soul, the spiritual reality, which is all very beautiful. Um, and when you study the works of our charyas in our line before Srila Prabhupada and Srila Bhaktisiddhanta, who was Prabhupada's guru, when you look at their commentaries, they always just focused on the core teachings mm. um, and of the Bhagavatam. Because the Bhagavatam is the central literature for this strand of bhakti. And they always, any commentator on the Bhagavatam, up until Parapa's time, always just focused on the actual teachings of the Bhagavatam, like uh, topics surrounding the soul, surrounding maya. The, mm. the deluding energy surrounding the internal energy of the spiritual world and surrounding the interrelation between these three categories and then the process of bhakti and then the development of divine love. These are the core tattvas or reality principles of the Bhagavatam. And mm. all of our commentators focus on that. But when, when Srila Prabhupada gave the Bhagavatam to his disciples, as he writes in the preface of the first canto, you can read it, he intended his movement to not only be a, a spiritual revolution, but a cultural one as well. Yeah. And he was trying to, in one sense, export a whole culture to his disciples, at least, if not to the whole world. Mm. And so, and, and having that desire, like Prabhupada thought big, he dreamed big, he thought big. And with that sort of dream in his mind, 
he had a lot to say about the social world mm. of the time and how that, you know, compared or stood up next to the the social world of the Bhagavatam that we hear about, which was basically called Varnashram. Not going to the details of that. Basically, our social world is an outcast world. It's a rascal civilization, to use Prabhupada's terms. And so when he was... So in his commentary on the Bhagavatam, he differs from other commentators where he has a lot to say about the social environment, uh, which was not generally the characteristic of previous Acharyas. Also, because his disciples had no context mm. of the social world of the Bhagavatam, Prabhupada also had to provide that. So in providing the social context of the Bhagavatam, he also ends up critiquing the social landscape of our time. And mm. again, his, his opinions are very unpopular. So I've observed, even when I first joined, he has a lot of opinions that, like, again, you get attracted to the bhakti part, but his social commentary part is a part that I think to this day, a lot of younger generation devotees have a really hard time swallowing because mm. we just grew up in a very different social climate. And I actually thought to bring this up even. There, um, there's an incongruency for devotees, especially I'm thinking younger generation devotees in our movement. There's a sort of misalignment. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Mm. Between our knowledge and our culture. So our knowledge, of course, is the knowledge of the Bhagavatam and Krishna consciousness and so on. But the culture that we grew up in is not aligned with that world mm. view, it's this, uh, the social world view, and of course, the spiritual one. So what ends up happening is that a lot of us, this is my take, this may not be the full picture, I'm not claiming it's the full picture, but what I intuit takes place for a lot of us, and it certainly took place for me individual, is we kind of embrace the knowledge part, but we want to live the culture part that we're accustomed to. Mm. And like anyone who's who's likes the culture that that they're a part of, they kind of will fight to defend it no matter what. That's just mm. the way. That's just the way human nature works, I suppose. And so we end up at odds with our own knowledge, mm. or even sometimes. Okay, if you say our core knowledge is a spiritual one, but there's still certain implications of some of those points that mm. just don't sit well with the social world that we're accustomed to. And mm. so a lot of devotees really, really have a hard time with Prabhupada's social commentary. For some devotees, it becomes a cause of them leaving, especially on matters of race and sexuality and gender. Prabhupada has extremely unpopular <laughs> opinions. Um, and other things such as voting, which is the particular thing that I put up. Vaccines comes up for Prabhupada also, which he calls nonsense. So a lot of devotees, younger generation especially, or people who are coming in the movement, mm. they will find themselves completely at odds with the social commentary part. So then there's basically two ways you can deal with that. You just ignore it um, and continue with the essential core teachings of the Bhagavatam, which is nice and which is the main purpose of the Bhagavatam. Um, so you either ignore or you just go away. <laughs> Those are basically the two options. Or the other third option, which is somewhat of a rare option, is you try to understand the reasons that led to those conclusions. Mm. Like why this sort of what seems to be ultra-conservative, ultra-maybe even oppressive 
understanding of the social climate. But that, that third option is rarely taken up because we're so indoctrinated by the culture that we grew up in mm. that it's literally basically a knee-jerk reaction that anything Prabhupada is saying is just wrong. Mm. And you don't reason, not only is it wrong, in some cases, people may even think it's evil. Like Prabhupada's statements about, let's say, homosexuals, for example, or his statements on, on um, race, especially black people. I probably shouldn't even bring that up because now y'all probably all going to go Google it if you haven't seen it already. <laughs> or his, his things about women. Some people will say that it's evil, at least especially nowadays where everyone's like extra. As soon as you disagree with them about anything, you're evil. <laughs> you're not. You're not even a person anymore. With a different, you're evil, and so you don't reason with evil. Mm. You smash it, mm. and so that's you know. So that third option, where you kind of try to understand the reasons behind some of this thinking, doesn't generally happen because it seems like it's just evil, but mm. because Prabhupada himself is kind of lovable, so you're like, okay. He was just kind of brainwashed by the times. Mm. He heard this and that, and, and it, was, it was really based on that. He, if he had newer information, he probably wouldn't have thought in that way. Mm. And I think there could be something to be said about that. I personally don't think Prabhupada's reasoning about some of these things would be too much more nuanced than we're accustomed to hearing from Prabhupada, even if given newer information. Um, I think that's a way for us to feel comfortable with our sort of completely different view uh, mm. of things. Um, that's not to say that Prabhupada might not have adjusted himself. But anyway, so I, that was the mean, that was the thing I shared on Facebook. Mm. And I'm, I'm bringing out the point that this does become a very sensitive point for devotees yeah. and the movement. I'm sure you've I, had this experience also, of course. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I certainly did. I've, ha I've had this experience for sure, but I've always been a very, you know, skeptical not skeptical around our philosophy of course but skeptical around kind of yeah that behavior towards Prabhupada statements kind of like uh, I've had moments where I've you know read some of his statements or or other people in our movements statements you know Prabhupada disciples statements that are a little bit jarring like this but I really like I really like a lot of the things that you just said because one of the things that you said which um, is a word that sometimes people really don't like to accept that this is what is happening. And the word that you used is indoctrination, like cultural indoctrination. Right. And so what we take for face value, this is, this, is a, this is a value of society. This is just the way that it is. If you don't think, and I think we're really seeing it come to a head right now where everything in the United States is so politicized. And for me, you know, that is, that is the definition of indoctrination, you know, where I can't see, because I also like that you gave these three options, right? Either I'm going to ignore it and kind of just still go along with it and still go along with the message of Bhakti, which is great. I feel like these, these, these three options can be applied to many things in life, right? I'm mm. either going to ignore what the commentary is by Prabhupada, but I'll continue with Bhakti. I'm going to go away from it and just be like, Bas, you know, I've had enough. Or the third option, which is the very rare option, I'm going to try to understand where was Prabhupada coming from? Let me go a little deeper. I feel like nowadays in life, in any situation, it's almost impossible for people to take the third option. Mm. It's, it's, I, we've been polarized into extremes of either I'm going to continue a lot, like, you know, we can put these three options into anything, like 
Amazon, you know, people know that Amazon is evil, but the majority of people are just kind of going along with it because, you know, it's still kind of useful to me, but I'm not going into the deeper tattva of what is really going on. Or you do have some people that are just totally rejecting it, you know, but right. barely anyone is like, well, who is Jeff Bezos? And like, how do we get to know him? And like, what's really going on here? And like, let me do some deeper digging, right? I mean, life is short, right? <laughs> <laughs> But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, I think that indoctrination, cultural indoctrination is keeping us from that third option in any scenario, whether that be with Prabhupada, whether that be here, like it's, it's really forcing us into these sides. Well, it's and, hard to recognize when you've been indoctrinated, it's hard to recognize it as such. Well, yeah, that's, that's the nature of indoctrination. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Kishore Gopal, get my Amazon and get out. <laughs> Oh my god, I love I love also like, you know, I think I've seen a skit of this like where where like all of a sudden you're around people that like they're they're bashing on Amazon and you kind of are like I, I don't I don't shop on Amazon. Yeah, I also shop at that, you know, cool hipster locally sourced, you know, bookstore like this or whatever. But I think everything is just right now it's it's very difficult to have any sort of opinion right now because I don't know. You probably haven't looked at the comments on the Facebook post that you posted. I don't I was, know. Yeah, I don't but, yeah, but, I, but I was looking at them and I was just like, God, like it's so, it's so easy to light, you know, light a match to, to kind of burn people away into either, either extreme, you know. No, this is the way that it should be done. And if it's not done this way, then you're nonsense. And we're not friends anymore. Like this, basically. Yes. And I'm just like, wow, this is really... I like what Sid said. Anything against the moral vogue is beyond debate. This is very good. Nice. This is very, very good. And, you know, I think it behooves us to ask us to ask ourselves, why has that happened? You know, why are we why are we in that situation where it's beyond debate? We can't even bring it up. You know, I remember when perhaps you brought up some unpopular uh, opinions that you yourself have here on Chit Chat. And it was like, oh, you know, we had to have a meeting about it. <laughs> like, it was, All right. like, it was like, and it's like, why can't we have our, our opinions about things, you know? Yeah, I, when I first came out of the ashram, I brought this up many times, and I was trying to understand the sort of social political world that I was re-entering into because I was largely unaware of it when I say in the ashram, you just didn't involve yourself with anything. And um, so I started looking at all these different YouTube videos from left-wing individuals and their right-wing individuals. And it, you know, some of the right-wing stuff made a lot more sense to me with the sort of metaphysics that I was accustomed to hearing from, you know, from Prabhupada's books and his take on social issues and so on right-wing politics made a lot more sense to me overall mm. there were elements like what i got from left-wing politics was like an emphasis on like fairness an emphasis on um not causing harm which mm. seemed to be the bedrock of their morality but what you get from what i found from more conservative type commentators was a, i would say maybe a more in my view a more rich or a more whole sort of moral landscape that included not only fairness and lack of harm, which is part of the criteria, but other criteria such as like authority 
and hierarchies and loyalty and which and which are things that we hear a lot about in sacred texts mm. like you know to it was considered immoral for example in the sacred texts for a woman to walk alone by herself at night that wasn't just for for the culture of that time that wasn't just a social convention that was like a moral impropriety mm. and there were like severe consequences for that culture uh, I'm not saying that I embrace all these ideas now and so on, but I'm just saying how the moral, the moral, uh, the, I, I'm going to use the word reach of mm. these old worlds was, it kind of reached into a lot more aspects of your life to like the food that you were eating, the, the times of the day that you were doing work is like, you know, the work in the middle of the night was not only considered like uh, not productive, but it was considered like a moral impropriety. Mm. now this is a time to be doing spiritual activity this is a time to be sleeping why are you doing work at this time mm. and um so that's what you get kind of from the sacred text so when i was hearing like conservative politics i was like this kind of makes this is closer match to what i'm accustomed to hearing so when i came out of ashram and i was talking to other devotees who were involved with the social political landscape for years on end and i would just share a view that i heard that made sense to me and they would be like, well, that's conservative. Mm. And I would be like, okay. Like, it was clear to me that the word conservative would be used as like a pejorative. Yeah. But I didn't have a context at the time to understand why that would be used in a pejorative way. I'm like, okay, whether it's conservative or not, it's a good point, right? And, um, and yeah, then I just realized like, wow, the world that I was, and I, I also admit I was indoctrinated into the Hare Krishna world of thinking. I remember being on distributing a book at DePaul University and meeting one kid who point blank came up to me and said, you've been indoctrinated. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I totally accept that. I said, but the difference between you and I is that I'm probably a little less indoctrinated than you because you're following whatever doctrines you've been growing up with, as I was also following, and you've never changed your position. Mm. And I've changed my position entirely from, you know, one of materialism and then detachment and spiritual life and so on. So mm -hmm. I said, I'm probably like a little less indoctrinated than you, but I totally accept I'm indoctrinated. Anyway, so I'm accustomed to thinking in a certain way. And then I was totally clashing with other devotees on certain issues that I, you know, I remember when I first came out, I had heavy things to say about Islam and I got slammed. You know, I had heavy things to say about feminism and I just thought this would be like a matter of fact in <laughs> devotee circles. And I was getting like slammed and, mm. and called out and, and reprimanded on social mm. media. And I was um, taking it back a little bit. But then it occurred to me, and now this will also be considered maybe a conservative talking point, but it did occur to me and it made sense to me that in our country, particularly, well, USA, you're not in the USA, but in the USA, um, there's always this like, glorification of diversity mm. but when it comes to diversity of thought like i i don't know if there's a more i don't know if there's a country out there that more stresses conformity right now yeah. than the usa yeah when it comes to ways of thinking even yeah. though this is supposed to be a country that prides itself on its individualism and you know individual way of speaking and so on now it's like you're not allowed to have certain thoughts and like 1984, which is interesting, you have your friends who are there to police you. You know, mm. like in 1984, the kids were like telling their own parents that they were mm. like, 
they were like, you know, doing a thought crime or, and so now you have like your friends out there who can like police you or, or flag you with Facebook or <laughs> it's like all these wild things happening. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we're supposed to be like into diversity over here in this country, but where's the room for diversity of thought? And mm. why are you reducing me? I'm a very complex individual. Um, and so are you, and so is everyone listening on Chit Chat right now. We're very complex in individuals. And I'm taking this point from Terika Dumbo, who I did a podcast with recently. It's coming out soon, but I'll leave mm. that for later. And he made this brilliant point. We're, we're like complex individuals, and then you try to reduce me to this one metric. Mm. You know, you're black, or yeah. you're conservative. Mm. or you're trans or you're mm. you're gay or you're this or you're that and you just like try to fit someone into that one metric you know and of course if that particular group or metric is negative then you just think negatively about the person but it's like mm. wait i'm a complex person yes i do have this thought but i also think in this other way too yeah. which you are which you would agree with so where's some room for that and the interesting part about that is that's super interesting what you just brought up because it it goes into it goes into this compartmentalization indoctrination um you know identity politics kind of like mass think like this because it goes both ways in the sense that okay i might be talking to someone about a certain topic and then they might reduce me to an ism or one of the identities that i hold right, right. but then but then it also kind of works the other way not in your favor depending on how you choose to but we've talked about this where let's say you know you're a black person i'm a hispanic person like this let's say we decide to talk specifically about that aspect of our existence you know sexuality race whatever but if it's not in accordance with the mass think well you're not black enough you know, right. or, or, or you're not Hispanic enough. You've been brainwashed by, you know, like right, you're right. not, no, gay. It's, you're not it's, gay. it's internalized racism, yeah, it, homophobia, <laughs> internalized. It's like, wait, I'm not, I can't think that way. Well, you can, but it's due to internalized racism that you're saying that. Exactly. 100. It's internalized homophobia that that's why you, you think that. And I'm like, right. oh, thanks for letting so me I was, know. So I was smart enough two minutes ago to have this view and it this opinion about something it was deemed right and then i have this view about another topic and it's because i've been brainwashed fascinating <laughs> and then you know and then the, and then the really interesting thing is that so we have you know to bring it back to Srila Prabhupada bhakti we have Srila Prabhupada's purports and he has these really intense uh they can be seen as conservative ways of thinking yeah you know if we really look into Prabhupada, as so many of us know uh, he has a lot of contradictory statements. He might say something on the Vyasa-san, but then act with his d disciples in a different way. He might say like this, but then act like this. And so that's very complex. And Prabhupada was a very right. complex person. And, you know, but like you mentioned, it's very rare person that's going to choose that third option of, let me understand who Prabhupada was. Let me understand why he said things like this. Let me try and understand why he said like this over here, but he acted like this over here, you know? And so we find rather devotees and people being polarized into I'm following, I'm trying to follow Bhakti, but just not pay attention to what Prabhupada says, or I'm just straight up leaving, you know, like this. Right. And the point that I was going to make is that it becomes even more difficult because then if I just want to, if I just want to say, 
You know what? I'm just going to focus on bhakti. I'm just going to focus on what Bhagavatam and Gita are saying. I'm not going to get involved in the social landscape. I'm not going to, you know, get involved in whatever's going on right now in the world. I'm not I'm going to try to not have an opinion on it. I'm going to try not to get involved in it. Then your friends or Facebook police or whoever spiritual are going to come bypass. Spirit, exactly. <laughs> you're spiritual bypassing. Oh, you're just focusing on your bhakti? You're spiritual bypassing. Like there, it seems that there's this, there's this thing right now, which is like, if you're not participating in the quote unquote conversation and not just participating, you have to agree with me. You have to agree with my group think or whatever. If you're not, then you are spiritually bypassing. And to me, that seems insane. I'm sorry. That seems crazy. You know, I've always been someone, I've always been someone that's been very, very skeptical of like the U.S., the U.S. government, kind of politics, po political plays in the U.S. And I've always kind of just been like, mm, I don't know. Like I said, you know, this is, I grew up this way. And I think that if people try to find fault with me in this way, I'll just, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure out a way how to bring them down because I'm like, I was brought up in a way from my parents. This is from my parents. My parents were always just like, don't trust the government. Don't trust the United States. They put in puppet dictators in our countries. They stole our country's money and land, you know, like this. So for American people, whatever that means, like, you know, my American friends that try to tell me you have to vote. I'm just like, you know, personally, I think it's just, I, I, I'm still formulating my ideas on it because as a complex individual, you know, who I'm decided, I don't think I should be forced into like, this is the most important blah, 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 blah. It just seems so... The, yeah, the other complication, I'm going to read Madhavapuri's comments here also, yeah. I think, which are very good. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think people feel mostly powerless, absolutely. Yes. Yelling in the wind is the only release in their slave-like condition. And... I want to comment on that briefly. I, mm. If you remember, there was this book, well, 1984, there was this character, Emmanuel Goldstein. Oh, yes. yes. I brought this up the other day, right? Yeah, you did. It was so good. But still, I think it's a good point. Emmanuel Goldstein, in the book, you never knew if he actually existed or not, but he definitely existed for the oppressed people of Oceania, which I think was the name of the dystopic government. He existed as a symbol to which they could direct their hate. And, um, and, and they could as ascribe to Emmanuel Goldstein the, all the destruction that was around them, all the oppression that was around them, the indigence that they were experiencing. All that suffering was coming from this Emmanuel Goldstein. They didn't exactly know how it was coming from him. They didn't know, even know if he really existed or not, but he was like, and he was, in a sense, you got the sense that he was also one of the tools of the government control. Mm. So that, that the government got a pass for all that hatred because it was directed at this Emmanuel Goldstein who may mm. or may not existed. And, um, and so in our powerless condition, as Madhavapuri brought out, we need like concrete images mm. or symbols that we can identify as the problem Mm. to which we can direct all this animosity that may be coming up in our hearts due to the circumstances. Mm. Um, it's scary that <clears throat> instead of trying to like do the, I don't know if this is important work, but instead of trying to figure out what are, I'll give an example of this. Systemic racism is a word that's become very popular. But systemic racism is like this amorphous thing that, you know, <laughs> is, a, is said to be the problem when there's 
ever any situation where race is involved. Mm. You know, so the George Floyd situation, for example, it was systemic racism. Mm. Like, you don't know if the cop was racist. You don't know if George Floyd was walling out. Well, now we do know he was walling out. Mm. But let's just leave that out of the formula because, you know, that was probably my internalized um, racism speaking right there. <laughs> so it, it wasn't that George Floyd was rolling, walling out. It wasn't uh, the fact that maybe the cop was doing his job. It was systemic racism. Like that was mm. the only way we were allowed to read that scenario at that particular time. Mm. But when you ask people to like point at different laws or different like institutions where racism is really a problem, you'll find that people find a much harder time doing that. Mm. So systemic racism becomes a sort of Emmanuel ghosting. Yeah. That whenever any problem is happening to you, like to say as a person of color, you can just say systemic racism. That's the, yeah. that's the Emmanuel ghosting. It's not yeah. like <laughs> there was this law that said specifically don't hire people of color or yeah. this, this institution over here, they're doing it in subtle ways. But the, it's not that you can point it out precisely, it's just systemic racism. So it's just yeah. like a symbol which is holding space for all that animosity. And mm. like I said the other day when I brought this up, I think it happens metaphysically also. You know, your life is shitty. Let's be mm. real. Even if there wasn't a COVID situation, most of us would still probably be having some shitty lives. <laughs> so, you know, with the, because we have a mind. Someone was asking, someone mentioned to me that, Jai, they said, I'm, I'm happy that you're in North Carolina. It seems like it's doing good for you. And I said, I have a mind. It doesn't matter where I'm at. <laughs> it really doesn't. Until I work on myself, I will have the same problems wherever I go. So instead of just working on those problems, which are largely internal, mm. I just point to my Emmanuel ghosting. So it can be, oh, COVID. It could be, you know, systemic racism. It could be uh, my wife left me or my partner left me. Or it, it, it's something else. It's never just me and the negligence of taking responsibility for my own inner world. It's never that. It's that maybe a little bit, but it's really my Emmanuel ghosting. Mm. And so, um, yeah, people are feeling powerless and they need somewhere to direct that animosity that comes up from the sense of fear combined with powerlessness. And unfortunately, it becomes each other mm. or becomes, you know, white people, which is like a big thing now. White, I, I'm like so tired of hearing about whiteness. Like, wh whiteness is the problem. I'm like, shut up, you know? <laughs> the problem is you have a mind. <laughs> the problem is I have a mind. That's the problem, you know? The mind is our enemy right now. It's not doing mm. as well. But no, our Emmanuel Goldstein is there. So I just, yeah, I wanted to bring that up in, in light of this comment of Madhavapuri. Yeah. That's really a true point. I really like Madhavapuri's comments as well in that, like you're mentioning, so we feel powerless and therefore we must find kind of a scapegoat to, to project our, our emotions onto or our um, you know, misgivings onto like this. And I also really like what Madhavapuri said right after that. He said, all the amazing gifts Prabhupada gave the world. Right. He still apologized when he was leaving his body for calling people rascals and criticizing behavior. And so we see Shri Prabhupada's endless humility and, you know, just mercy, really, that he's giving us. And I think that, you know, we were speaking about this on, on Sunday. You brought this up about uh, Sadhuninda and um, kind of like when we start, when we get into this critical mindset of just every, 
every everything we're criticizing every person we're criticizing every moment we're just like well they're doing this wrong or they're doing that wrong or they're and i mean i doubt that the majority of us would be able to take not the majority of us none of us would be able to take Prabhupada's position and what he did for the world what he did for us you know i remember that i had i definitely had some some issues with with Prabhupada's statements absolutely with some, with, with some of bhakti tirtha swami's statements as well i've brought this up in chit chat before where there was like a, a i was reading a bhakti tirtha swami book in a community book community group and it was like from lust to from lust to love or one of these and there was like a sexuality thing that he said that i was just like oh yeah. And it really caught me off guard. But, you know, I think that it's really important to as much as you can, you know, if there's a takeaway for this chit chat, for me at least, is as much as you can, how can I get to that third option of not not being polarized to either side, but stay, keeping keeping my mind dignified, you know, keeping myself under the control of myself, which is very difficult to do in any case. But, you know, we're talking about right now being triggered by something that is off our status quo, off our cultural indoctrination, something that seems like, oh, that's totally wrong or it's totally this, you know, because I think that what we are conditioned to, you know, accept culturally I think what many people have this, I think many people have, sorry, I'm jumping around, but many people have this experience as well when they're first coming to devotional life. And, you know, something might have seemed very normal to you at the beginning, right? Before you were a devotee. So going to the bar, being, pr being promiscuous, getting wasted, doing like the, doing all sorts of drugs here and there and whatever. That might have seemed totally normal, not only normal, but like ecstatic, you know, let's go, let's go do all this. And after you start to come into devotional life, you really realize like, wow, you know, we've spoken about this before on Chitcha in the, in the Yoga Sutra saying, the, taking the cause of my suffering to be the cause of my happiness. So perhaps before devotional life, I think going to the bar, sleeping with as many people as I want, not following any sort of morality, that is the source of my happiness. You know, this right. is what's going to me. And people actually believe that, right? Like hanging out with your bros or whatever, eh, just go, you know, like this. And after coming to devotional life, you realize like, wow, I was in complete Maya. This is destructive behavior to my soul, to other people. This is irresponsible behavior. This is gross, actually. I was, you know, fool number one, rascal number one like this. <laughs> but I think that it's very difficult then because, you know, at least I can speak this from a personal level. Those, some, you might have that kind of like immediate kind of shock of like, that's terrible. But that cultural indoctrination, it doesn't go away just like that, you know? It's, right, right, right. That, that is in you, you know? It's, it's there, and it's going to take, take a lot to get that away. And so you'll feel kind of the waves of that coming back, you know? The, oh, you know, especially when you come up against maybe something intense that Prabhupada is saying, something intense you read in the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is no joke. Like, there are some heavy statements that you read. You go, oh, <laughs> you're like, read it. Whoo! And... I think it behooves us to, you know, I'll go back to this point I was making. It really behooves us to try and stay in the driver's seat of our, of our mind so that I'm not getting polarized to either side so that I can take that third option of like, what is the deeper truth here? You know, what is Prabhupada trying to say? What is the Bhagavatam really trying to say here in this moment? Not, oh, well, I'm just going to give that a pass, ignore it and just keep on going. Or what is this? Screw this. You know, like this, because it's really... It's really tearing people apart, you know? I want to amplify what you're saying. 
as the take as a take take away also i want to say the same thing is that um try to as hard as we can resist the depersonalization of those that you encounter the humans the complex humans with complex minds and complex ways of thinking try not to reduce them or to just these like simple metrics that can be um easily that lack complexity and that can be easily used as target boards for our hatred and animosity so in other words reducing someone says uh, has an opinion about something that you don't like and so you just reduce them to that opinion yep and you use, and that opinion becomes your next target board for all that hate and animosity um when you look at people any person including Donald Trump let's throw his name in there just to make it interesting we they all have like backstories that lead to the type of people that they are today i brought this up before um maleficent <laughs> i can't i can't oh my god <laughs> that was such a good movie i'm sorry i i saw i saw part 1 and part 2 several times. It's such a good movie. It's like very touching. I mean, I think it's touching because Maleficent of course is the the antagonist in the original Sleeping Beauty movie. But they kind of give her backstory that that tells why she is the way that she is. So they kind of like personalize her. And when you hear her backstory, you really like her on her side. Mm. You know, of course good story writers are really good at manipulating one's emotions in this way. But when you hear the backstory of Maleficent you're like, you know, a girl has a point, she has to like defend <laughs> herself and you're kind of on her side, but then what it makes you realize that okay, in the original Sleeping Beauty movie she's just evil. Mm. Because you just reduced her to particular acts that were probably manifestly wrong and evil, but you just reduced her to those particular acts and then you were able to just come to a quick and easy conclusion about it. I think the same happens with someone like Donald Trump. He has his backstory too that led to him becoming the type of person that he is. And mm. so we don't see all of that. We just see like a few metrics that we don't like and we make a judgment. We do it to our friends, we do it to other persons. And I guess the quality of saintly people and and why saintly people become the archetypes we're intended to um pers- you know, whose embodied wisdom we're intended to embody for ourselves. Mm. is that they're able to see the soul beyond these metrics of their particular activities or their particular opinions about things they they don't get misled by bodies and minds they can see the soul underneath all of that mm-hmm. and and honor that soul now in some cases got to honor from a distance and certain other cases you may be able to do something about it but they are in any case able to see they are able to maintain the personalism seeing the the individual soul underneath all of that mm. um and and then dealing accordingly i mean it's amazing when you read sacred texts how these sadhus deal with their persecutors mm. and it's it's mind-boggling actually and it, i guess it can only be chalked up so they're able to see beyond those acts mm. and uh so i want to amplify that as obviously a hard thing to do it's not like we're but it's, it's a practice that i it seems important you know not to reduce people okay they have this idea i think that idea is a clownish idea but they're not a clown mm i think that act was evil okay maybe they they have evil minds this life but there's still a spirit soul underneath yeah. all of that and that's the hard part to 
Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I just want to give a quick mundane example just to kind of drive this point home because I appreciate, you know, yeah, Donald Trump, maybe he has a deranged or evil mind, whatever, whatever, you know, but at the end of the day, he is a spirit soul. At the end of the day, you know, whatever. But I'm just going to give a funny example that is not even political, but has become politicized. And I read this today and I was just like, God, people, I just, I just can't, I can't anymore. Anyway. Really quick, um, I follow like an Instagram that's called NYC Urbanism and it's like all architecture and I'm like, an art, I'm like a building nerd and NYC nerd and whatever. And they made this post that was like about the World Trade Center. And I have strong opinions about the World Trade Center because I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I saw those towers go down and I hate the, the new design. I never liked it. Whenever I see it, I'm just like, this is gross. It looks like it belongs in Shanghai. And, you know, I'm like a classic New Yorker like that. It's like, this is terrible. So anyway, this post was all like that. Basically, there was a design to uh, when they were rebuilding the World Trade Center, there was a design that was submitted by a company uh, that was funded by Donald Trump. And that design was just to rebuild the new the towers as they were with a few little kind of things. And like it was going to be 15 stories higher and whatever. And then, and, and if essentially they went through this competition and they chose the tower that's there now. And this post, all they did, all they did was they gave the facts and they asked the public, what do you think? Like, which, which design would you have preferred? And like, you know, a lot of New Yorkers say they don't like the new design. Would you have liked the original buildings to be built? Like just really innocently, just asking like, which design do you think would have been better? And the amount of backlash that they got <laughs> simply simply for saying that Donald Trump was like somehow involved or like he was a financial supporter of like the two buildings being whatever. All these people like, don't mention his name. How dare you? We thought you were liberal. We thought you were this and blah, 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 blah. And, and uh, for the first time in like a really long time, I was like, you know, I like the old design. Like, does that mean that I like that? Does that mean I'm a Trump supporter because I like the old design? And it's just the insanity that we live, circus show that we live in as a country right now. You can't, you know, like something so trivial something so mundane is turned into such an intense topic where the th like i feel like that's just a really good example of like the third option is just so precluded you can't even see it people have become blinded by um mm. their and i oh wow i really like what sid said here every everyone thinks that they're a good person but they say that the world is a is full of bad people and a bad place very fascinating. So something that we are always stressing here on Chit Chat is the, the personal work that needs to be done. Uh, because if I'm a supposedly good person, then why aren't the people around me good? And why isn't my community good? What am I doing to help that? You know? And so, yes. 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 Anyway. Anyway, everyone, that was that. That's probably as political as we get on Chit Chat today. For some reason, this came out. Well, I, I just want to say because I was trying to make a case for Prabhupada, you know. Yeah, he, and I think that this is perhaps a, a good thing to continue because people yeah. have a lot of opinions about Prabhupada. Uh, yeah, specifically his social commentary, and uh, uh, so I was just arguing for, not arguing. I was just saying, yeah, not to depersonalize him. Yeah, I guess that's my final take-home message. Yeah, um, you know he can't be reduced to just those social opinions. Yeah, obviously, and his case yeah. is quite obvious because of 
the bit of work that he did. So yeah. yeah, this could be a thing that we continue maybe a little bit tomorrow, but yeah, we'll see what what comes up tomorrow. We're pretty spontaneous here on Chit Chat. Things <laughs> just come up and we just kind of go go for it. Well, anyone. Every, anyway, thank you everyone for, for joining in. Thank you, Sid, for your nice comments and Madhavapuri for your very, very nice comments. Thank you, um, Kavi, for sending that meme to Jaya. Kishore Gopal, <laughs> Kishore Gopal, if you're still there, we love you uh, and miss you. We love everyone. Thank you, Chandler and Shyam. I saw you were there. Thank you, Angelica. I saw us there. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, everyone. Sundari Radha. And we will see you all tomorrow. It seems like my new internet works great so hopefully this continues thank you princess papina Hari Bol, Hari krishna and we'll see you all tomorrow Six, Hari,